Blessing to be here today. Thank you, Will, for beautiful music. I don't know if uh, you have had the opportunity to get to know Mark Niemeyer or not yet. He was the one who did our announcements and prayer and so forth. But just so you know, he is our new head elder here at the Forest Lake Church, just appointed as of this last nominating committee process. And I just want to say I, I appreciate the work that the nominating committee is doing. And, and we're entering a very important time in this church as we are, we are at a bit of a, a transition point for some of our key leadership to some of, the, uh, some of the key ministries like elders and so forth. And uh, we're making that, that generational step again where a new generation is coming forward and, and taking up responsibility and, and participating. Now, now, Mark's been active for a long time uh, in a lot of different ways here at the church and as an elder, but also at Fleece, at Forest Lake Education Center. Uh, he currently serves as the finance committee chair over there and has been a part of the board there for quite some time. But we're, we're pleased as a pastoral staff to have him stepping into this role and look forward to the energy and the ideas he'll be bringing to the elder ministry in the days ahead. So pray for Mark and, and be thankful for his willingness to serve us uh, in this church at this time. Uh, I also want to uh, make you aware, next Sabbath we have a special guest speaker. Alfonso Green is his name. He is uh, one of the pastors of the uh, Huntsville First Church, and he'll be in town, and he'll be our speaker next week. I know him because he's in my Doctor of Ministry cohort, and we got to know each other through that. And uh, he thinks the world of this church and this place because he grew up around here. And he's got uh, some time at Forest Lake Academy and, and uh, history in this church. And it's a real thrill to him. Uh, when I said, hey, would you like to come preach sometime? He was excited to think he'd get to come back to this place uh, and be the speaker. So he will be here next Sabbath. Unfortunately, I'll be away. Uh, so I won't be able to host him like I want to. But Pastor Steve has agreed to look after him and make sure his experience is a good one. And I just say to you all, make it really good for him because he's one of the good guys and he's one of my buddies in uh, my doctor of ministry cohort. So he'll uh, be at second service as well. He'll yeah, that's right. He'll be at all three services. So we're going to wear him out. We're going to work him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we're excited to have him come and uh, looking forward to him being here. So, all right, we got a lot to do today. So let's pray and jump right in. Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit will be with us today, Lord, and that you will inhabit every part of the words spoken and the actions taken, and that what we do would be pleasing in your sight, and you would grant us insight from the story of Jesus that will affect us in how we view each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're... On the last Sabbath of our Frame series, we uh, did this series last summer, and then again this, week, this year we've had a chance to spend three weeks uh, on the Frames topic. And if, if that sounds a little strange to you, you haven't been here, let me explain. What we're talking about is, is the fundamental beliefs of the Adventist church, some of the doctrines of the church. And this image of a frame, and I appreciate Pastor Bernie coming up with this idea originally, as our doctrines serve us as frames. 
Now, sometimes we can get carried away with them and we get over fixated on the doctrines themselves and we lose sight of the fact that the doctrine is the frame, but the picture is supposed to be a picture of Jesus. We're not supposed to just focus on the frame. The frame is there to help us see Jesus better. So as we've reflected on these different uh, fundamental beliefs of the church, we've done so in that context of helping us understand what does it mean in Christ? What is he calling us to? What is the picture we need to see here? And, and so this summer we decided we would take on three of the fundamental beliefs. We were going to talk about the experience of salvation. And then originally we were going to do our topic for today second. And then we were going to talk about baptism today. But Pastor Bernie made the point, you know, it, it's kind of silly to talk about the experience of salvation and then not talk about baptism after that. Let's put those together. So we did. And if you were here uh, three, two and three weeks ago, you heard those two messages and uh, now today, then, we were going to talk about uh, the frame we had chosen for today to look at, which at the time we thought we were sort of arbitrarily placing these things, but God has a way uh, of imposing His purpose on what we think is our arbitrary process. And I think it's very, uh, very intentional that he had this topic be our topic for today because of events that have transpired in our country and even around the world uh, since the last few weeks began. Now, the topic for this week is fundamental belief number 14, which is entitled Unity in the Body of Christ. And isn't it interesting, at a time where within our culture and within our society there is so much pressure on the fault lines within our communities and within our societies that this is the topic the Lord would have for us to consider today. As we thought about this, and I was, for the other topics in this, I was speaking at first and third and Pastor Bernie was doing another message at second, we thought, let's do this together. Let's get up here together and let's talk about this fundamental belief together. Now, he'll have more things to say in a little bit. He's not just here to make me look good, but he's got some other things that he's going to be adding in a minute. But uh, before we do that, I want to read to you the words of fundamental belief number 14, unity in the body of Christ. So if you were to go to the Adventist Church website and you were to pull up the doctrine section and you went down to number 14, here's what you would find. The church is one body with many members called from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. In Christ, we are a new creation. Distinctions of race, culture, learning, and nationality, and differences between high and low, rich and poor, male and female, must not be divisive among us. We are all equal in Christ who by one spirit has bonded us into one fellowship with him and with one another. We are to serve and be served without partiality or reservation. Through the revelation of Jesus Christ in the scriptures, we share the same faith and hope and reach out in one witness to all. This unity has its source in the oneness of the triune God, who has adopted us as his children. Now, we're in agreement that, that we like this doctrine and the way that it is written and what it has to say, that, that this really does capture 
what we're going for with unity in the body of Christ. Now, in, in truth, it's really just uh, kind of uh, paraphrases of a series of texts put one after another put together. But, but I believe it is a fair reflection of what the Bible is teaching us on this topic and what it's calling us to. And it's exactly what we want. It's exactly what we want to see. And, and let me just say, in the context of this church community, this Forest Lake church community, we have intentionally sought for a number of years that go back before my time or Pastor Bernie's here, this church has sought to have a voice that is relevant and meaningful to a diverse collection of believers. Diverse in style, diverse in age, diverse in race, diverse in culture. So this church has tried over the years to create a congregation that truly does reflect this idea of people from different nations and kindred and tribes from all around the world that can come together and worship. And let me say, when we get together and we're on that same page, it is an amazing experience to be in this place worshiping with that group. And Psalm 133 verse 1 captures the experience well. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Amen. Now I love it when we're able to do this. And sometimes it's not even hard. We just fall right into it and it's just amazing. And we have this amazing experience here together where we're all knit together as this new creation in Christ. I love it when that happens. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it seems impossible. And we look at each other and say, why in the world are we even trying to do this? We'll just pick a group of people exactly like me and it'll always be easy. Why in the world do I have to be in a church full of people different from me? It's easy for us when our life experience and our stories find some sort of resonant alignment. And when that happens, we easily enter into this, this unity of experience. And it's this glorious experience. But then sometimes something happens. And the narratives that have shaped our lives, the differing narratives that have shaped our lives, lead us to a point where we view the exact same event and the exact same set of facts with a radically different perspective. And when that happens, it becomes hard to come together as one people and worship in unity. So in light of the events that have taken place in this country over the last couple of weeks, the, the events in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and St. Paul, Minnesota, where, uh, where situations escalated to the point where uh, an African-American man, a young man in some cases, uh, was killed at the hands of law enforcement. And then not long after that, the events that took place in Dallas, where police officers were killed in the line of duty. It became apparent to Bernie and I, just as we talked with each other and as we talked with different folks in the church, that these situations have impacted this community of faith in an uneven way. 
To the point where there are some in the community that are saying, yes, those things were terrible, but can't we move on now? And there are other people in the community saying, why in the world do we never deal with these things when they happen? So it was in that context that Pastor Bernie and I thought this might be a good day for us all to come together and ask ourselves some tough questions. So we came up with four different questions to give us a context for our reflection here as we go forward. So we got four questions here. Maybe we should divide them up. I read them at first. You read them at second. So we'll divide them up here at third. I'll do, I'll do one and three and you do two and four. How about that? That work? Okay, here we go. Here's the first one we want you to reflect on. Am I more interested in doing what it takes to be united, or am I more interested in being right? And let me just say before I say that, I, I, saw, I saw a cartoon on the internet that cracked me up on this. There's a, there's a stick drawing of a guy at his computer, and it's late at night, and he's feverishly typing, and a voice comes from the other room and says, come to bed. And he says, I can't. This is important. And the voice in the other room says, what is it? And he says, someone on the internet is wrong. (laughs) There's been a lot of that lately, hasn't there? Am I more interested in doing what it takes to be united, or am I more interested in being right? All right, go ahead. So number two, am I willing to admit not everyone's experience has been the same as mine, and things I dismiss as fantasy might be reality for someone else? What if what seems to me to be an anecdotal anomaly is to someone else an illustration of a norm? Can I believe that someone who doesn't know my reality can still be my brother or my sister? So with these questions in our minds, I want to take a minute here, and Pastor Bernie and I are both going to share a little bit of our own experience in the context of these days. Now, we have a lot in common. We're both pastors of the Forest Lake Church. Uh, We both have childhoods that happened before this time. We grew up through those times. We got in a little bit of trouble, but not a ton of trouble. Neither of us got into a whole lot of trouble. But yet our experiences are not identical. We've come to this point with a different narrative. So, so there are some differences between us. For one thing, I'm a little taller than Pastor Bernie. It's not saying much, by the For way. For another thing, <laughs> and you might be fooled on this one, you might think I have more hair than him, but the truth is he actually shaves his, so he actually has more than me. So there are some differences. There may be some others, but I can't think of any others right now. But, but we have had similar realities, but also very different realities. And that has formed in us different narratives. Now, I want want us to, to reflect specifically in the context of the narratives of our stories of encounters with police officers and authorities. Now, realizing when I say that, we're still not going to be fair here, because I can give a narrative of my experience And Bernie can give a narrative of his experience, but neither of us have ever been a police officer. So there's a whole other narrative there that we can't give you. But let me tell you a little bit about mine, and then Pastor Bernie's going to share a little bit about his experience 
and what those narratives do to create our perceptions. So, all right, so uh, the, my first real encounters with the authorities came shortly after I got my driver's license at age 16. Now, I was driving in the back country of North Georgia, driving along a two-lane road, making good time, I felt like, (laughs) and doing very well. When I passed, coming the other direction, uh, a, a Georgia State Trooper going the other way, who felt as though it probably was important that he turn around and notify me that 72 and a 55 is not okay. <laughs> so he did. He turned around and he came up to the car. Now, I'm, I'm 16. I've just started driving. I'm not very good at this. I don't know what I'm doing. He's coming up to the car. Now, now just having said this, North Georgia, backcountry, pulled over by a Georgia State Trooper, I had fear, but it was fear along the lines of, oh no, what should I do? That might have been a different experience for Pastor Bernie, if you think about where it was. But nonetheless, I'm in the car, and, and the officer, the, the uh, white officer is coming up to the side of the car where I've pulled over, and I'm all over that car, because I have no idea where the registration is and where the... Uh, where the proof of insurance is, and I'm digging in my pockets, and, and I'm just, I'm all over the place. But the officer comes up, and he speaks kindly, but firmly, and lets me know that you're not allowed to go that fast. And then he gives me a little reminder so that I will always remember. Now, let me tell you one thing about my history of encounters with law enfor- enforcement. I always get the ticket. Alicia gets out of it nearly every time. I always get the ticket. And this was no exception. He wrote me up, and sure enough, there it was. So what did I learn from that experience? It's really lousy to get pulled over because it costs you money. But that was all I learned. I wasn't afraid as a result. So, that was my experience on that day. Now, I had another experience that happened some years later after I had become a pastor. I was, had recently moved, we'd recently moved to Virginia, and I was, I was driving along, and, and I had neglected to get to change my license plate, okay? It was still the plate from where I lived before. And you know, I don't know if you know this, but, but uh, they expect you to do that fairly soon after you move. And I hadn't done it right away, and to make matters worse, okay, technically it had expired four months ago, but <laughs> those are details, you know, when you're busy living life. So I'm driving along with my expired out-of-state plates, and I don't even live there anymore. And sure enough, I got pulled over by a police officer. This time it was an African-American police officer. And he came up to the car, and he he spoke to me respectfully and asked me, did I know that my plates were expired? And it's a real bummer when you're a pastor, because you just can't lie. (laughs) And so I said, yeah, I knew that. And... And so then he did the craziest thing. 
He impounded my car. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was incensed. You know, I wanted to play the pastor card, but it, it seemed like maybe that would denigrate the whole profession. So I thought I better leave that out. But he did. He just plain impounded the car, and I, I'm left walking down the road, and Alicia has to come and pick me up. And I was mad, and it cost me lots of money. But you know what? I never once was in fear for my life. And we had a fairly heated discussion. So my experience with authorities like that have always taught me that, yeah, you're always going to get a fine, and there's not really anything you can do about that, but it's not dangerous. And so you have to understand and try to understand my narrative and my experience without automatically judging it, that any time I hear a story about a traffic stop that somehow escalates to the point where someone dies, my mind, based on my narrative and experience, automatically goes in the direction of thinking, what in the world did he do wrong? Because that doesn't happen when I get stopped. But Pastor Bernie has some different experiences. Yeah, and let me, uh, let me preface my comments and my story just by, by saying this. I have personally just, the last few weeks, man, have been heavy on my heart. and I've, I've grieved. I've, I can tell you a range of emotions from anger to grief to anxiety to, to just a deep sense of, of mourning. But also a, a sense that of, of how do I, how do we talk about this in the context of, of my church family. And if you know anything about my ministry, um, I'm in my 23rd year of being a pastor, and um, I have primarily served in the context of largely Caucasian uh, congregations. And, and so I've, I've sort of been cross-racial, if you will, or cross-cultural in a sense in my ministry, which has been an awesome thing, and I don't regret it one bit. I love it. But it's also created a situation where things in the larger culture arise that, that sort of demand a conversation or at least they create conversations and people are talking about them. And if they're along racial lines, they can create a certain tension. And, and I always sort of, I always somewhat feel awkward in that as I come to my congregation, wherever I'm serving, um, and this is my current congregation, I always... I always want to convey this idea, and that is you are, my, you are my household of faith. You are my brothers and my sisters. You say, say amen there so he doesn't I, feel nervous. I, there you go. Yeah, I'm yeah. starting to question that yeah, right yeah, there. there you go, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but you are my family. You are my brothers and my, my sisters. And, and there, is a, there, is a, there is a common narrative that we share and so forth. And, but that isn't to dismiss in any way my other uh, connections to my, my African-American uh, household, if you will, and to, to that, that experience of being black in this country. And so I just come, and as you hear my story and as I share, please understand that it comes from a place of, of love and community. It is not meant to be a story to create tension or, div or, or division, but in fact it is just to, to share from my perspective uh, as I've grown up in this country and as I've lived life um, and, the, and the interactions I've had with, with law enforcement. So my most vivid mem memory um, is really when 
my grandparents, I spent a lot of time with my, my grandparents as I was growing up. My parents were working in college, uh, in, in school, and, and so they would always drop me off at my grandmother, my grandparents' house. I spent a lot of time with them, and my grandparents were the first uh, African-American family. We were the first African-American family to integrate a suburb of southwest Little Rock, Arkansas. And it was interesting, as we, as we moved into that, that neighborhood, we actually became we kind of became a target. We were, we were the standout family, obviously, in an all-white uh, neighborhood. And I remember very vividly 4th of July, and our house sort of became the target for all the bottle rockets, um, as well as um, uh, Roman candles and so forth. So my grandfather pulled, out, pulled the water hose out because some, uh, 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 some of the fires would get stuck in the, in, the, in the roof of the house, and he was afraid that it would start to burn. So we'd get out the water hose and spray him off and everything. People would drive by and, and say all kinds of things that I, that I won't say in church. Um, but in terms of an interaction with law enforcement, this, this in, there's a story that happened as we were... As we were driving out one evening, uh, leaving the suburb that, that we lived in, that, that, they, that we all lived in, um, there were emergency vehicles that came up behind us. And it was just a two-lane road. We're, we're taking off. My grandmother's up front with my grandfather. I'm in the back with my cousins and I think an aunt or a couple of my aunts were back there with me. And we're just heading out and the emergency vehicles came up behind us and all the lights were flashing. You know that you're supposed to get over, but there was nowhere for us to go. It was just two lanes, ditches, a ditch on this side, so there's just nowhere to go. So we're, we're kind of holding up the emergency vehicles. Their vehicles coming down the other side. They couldn't get out of the way either. So it was just a bad situation. When we finally were able to come to a place where we could pull over and get out of the way, um, the, the fire trucks and the engines and some of them went by, but there's one officer that pulled in behind us, lights still going. And there's an officer that got out very, very quickly, and you could clearly see that he was quite irritated as he made his way to uh, my grandfather's side, the driver's side of, of the vehicle. And my grandfather wrote, brought the window down, and, and this officer, white officer, began to just sort of tear into him um, very, very disrespectfully. And my grandfather's huge. He's a giant in, to me, and he, I, I love loved him dearly. He's passed away now, but... but for me to see this, I'm probably 10 years old, maybe 11 years old, and I'm, seeing, I'm seeing this and hearing this officer just berate my, my grandfather. And, and it was, it was I, my eyes were huge, you know, and he's just saying, he's, he's saying everything. I think he came up shy of saying the N-word. I don't think he said that, but he, he said boy, and he said this, and he was just, he got my grandfather out of the car, and he put his finger in his face, and it was just awful to me as I, as I watched that. And it's interesting, my grandfather, and you got to understand his narrative and his story. He, he grew up, this is, this is what he has known for years. And my grandmother, the same thing. They, this is not just an episode in their lives. This is the common narrative for their life as they lived through the very tumultuous years where this was, this was always the reality, right? And there was no uh, integration or desegregation. So... Um, my grandfather's a little bit more passive, and he always tries to kind of, okay, okay, you know, calm down, de-escalate. My grandmother's just the opposite. She, she carried a knife in her purse, all right? <laughs> and this was going on. She's seen her husband berated like this, and my grandmother grabs her knife, you know? And we're, my aunts are in the back, and, and we're, you know, they're, they're trying to calm her down. But my, grandmother, my grandmother's thinking, well, we, this is time to take care of this. This is, you know, and we're... <laughs> 
we're all thinking to ourselves, probably not a wise thing to stab a police officer, Grandma, you know? And uh, so we, we were able to calm her down, um, and, and, and it finally de-escalated, and we, we went on about our way. I think my grandfather did get a, get a ticket for that. But that has informed my, sort of my, my life as, I, as I've grown up, and I've become, you know, someone who drives all the time and so forth, and has had, I've had my own interaction with, with police officers. That, that vivid story continues to play over and over in my mind, and it was, it was tense, and it was... It was, it was rather dramatic, and, and it was disrespectful and so forth. Uh, to kind of balance that, my parents were, uh, they, they, I grew up in a military home, my father's career Navy, and I was always taught to respect the uniform and to respect authority. So I had that also going on in my life, and, and my, my parents emphasized to me, you treat everyone with the, with the level of respect, regardless of race or color or whatever. And so... But at the same time, I'd seen my grandfather disrespect in such a vivid way. I'd grown up in his house where, where the fireworks were shot and, and things were sh- shouted out as people drove by. So I had these two sort of stories playing out in my mind. So when I would get pulled over later in life, and I had numerous, numerous times and when I would, and I always get the ticket too, there is a certain tension there. There is a certain um, lingering question of where could this go? And in a moment where, even when I, was, you know, when I was younger and I was probably more combative, like my grandmother mother, than, than I should be, what, where could this go? And I would, you know, I had that playing around, going on um, in my head. Um, it, it, that's, that's sort of been my story, and it's been the, the, the narrative of my life. Utah, uh, where I pastored before coming here, I was pulled over numerous times, um, for, you know, driving while being black, basically, is what it came down to. And, and that, was, that was just very clear. If my wife were here, she'd tell you the same thing. She's in the car with me. So that's kind of been the story that I've experienced. And there's been a, there's a sense of tension. There's a sense of what, what could happen and so forth. Thankfully, nothing terribly serious has happened. So. Some of the Utah thing might have just been the novelty of it all. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> it's unusual. But these are the narratives that shape our responses. So, and there's another narrative here too that neither of us know, and that's the narrative of a police officer's experience. So a police officer who lives their life dealing with the ugliness of society and the different challenges of society and living in a scenario where sometimes decisions are life and death and having experienced things that incline thinking in one way or another, particularly when it meshes with pre- biases or whatever can, can create any number of scenarios of response. But here's the thing about living in that narrative. It is reality. It's who we are as people. For example, when the stove is hot and you put your finger on it, you get burned, right? You learn the lesson not to put your finger on it. You're stupid if you don't learn the lesson to not put your finger on the hot stove. That's what the narrative of your life teaches you. And when enough experience goes in the same way, you will respond in certain ways. So, just by default, a situation like the situations that occurred in Baton Rouge or in St. Paul, invariably, someone with a narrative like mine is going to approach that and say, these are very unfortunate, anomalous anecdotes. But someone from another mindset and another life perspective is going to say, 
These are unfortunate illustrations of what goes on. Now, we've both approached the exact same event. We've both acknowledged the exact same event, but our narratives have caused us to come at it from completely different perspectives. And you know the next step, right? My narrative is inclined to say, let's trust the process to rightly determine what happened and take appropriate action, because that's how you deal with anomalous anecdotes, right? But if you come from another perspective, the process is one of the things not trusted. And then there's the third, the perspective of the officer himself that we can't even speak to with wisdom. Now, we're all in this place. All of those narratives are at play in this room. And when the right situations aren't happening, it's very easy to feel very united because we got plenty of narratives we have in common. But something like this, as Alicia said so well, puts pressure on our fault lines within our community. And it is when we have pressure there that we have to ask ourselves, okay, Maybe everybody's life isn't like mine. And maybe the answer for church isn't that everyone's life become like mine. And maybe we have to find a different story that we can find unity in. And then from that unity story, view each other in our narratives with new eyes. What we want to suggest to you today is we have a story like that. It is told different ways, but one of the ways it's told is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. It's a shared story. The story we got, we're giving it to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. That is our shared story of unity. Now, how does that story shape the way we relate to each other when our narratives don't align? Based on this story that Pastor Bernie and I have in common, how does the story of what Jesus has done for us change the way I view his experience and change the way he views my experience? I believe it's captured well in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. The first part of that verse, we find this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, here's what you need to understand. Your narrative is, by and large, a worldly point of view. And it is your true experience, and it has formed how you think. But if you approach all of reality from within that narrow view, you are viewing everyone from a worldly point of view. 
And the gospel demands more from us. So what are the worldly ways? And what is this new way in which we view each other that changes the tension of our stories? Well, we can't make the stories go away. I can't change Bernie's experience. He can't change my experience. But we can make choices about what we do now. Amen. And so in light of that, and in the fact that today is a communion service for us, we got together and we thought, how can we make this service, which we experience it, it becomes a story, to take communion is a part of our narrative that we share, but how can we take this narrative we share and take it to that next level of connection? So we got together with Pastor Patty and we talked and we came up with an idea and we're going to do things a little different today and let me explain what's going to happen. The communion service itself is the same. We have the bread that represents the body of Christ, and we have the cup that represents his blood. But normally what we do on communion day is the deacons come in, and they have their trays, and they serve each of you as we go along, and we pass the trays down the row, and then at the end we all receive together. And that's good, and we should do that most days, but we felt like today needs to be different. Today... We need to see each other with new eyes. And so we did something a little different today. We got these little packages, and the deaconesses worked hard to put in each one of these, uh, one of the communion pieces of communion bread, and we got these, these little vials, and we filled those with the juice, with the lid. And, and here's what we're going to do in just a few minutes. Pastor Bernie and I will say the prayer uh, over the emblems as we usually do. But then after that, he and I will take these trays and the deacons will come and they'll be in the aisles with other trays and we will stand down here and everyone will come and take one of these vials and one of these packages of bread. But here's the thing today. It's not for you. Someone else is picking yours up. You're going to take these and you're going to take it to someone who is your brother and sister, and you're going to give these to them. And you're going to say, when you do that, we have something for you to say here. We'll put it on the screen. As you hand them, you'll say, these are the symbols of our shared story of unity. And the response will be, mine are the same as yours. Because this is the table that unites us. This is the story that brings us together. And by God's grace and by His Holy Spirit, we're going to see each other differently today in this service. So in a moment, Pastor Bernie and I will say a prayer for these emblems. When the prayer is done, we'll move down and the deacons will come and then everyone will go to one of the deacons somewhere and take one of these, uh, one of the vials and, and and one of the little bags, and then you are to find someone and give it to them. And I want to give you this extra challenge. Don't give it to the person you came with. Amen. Find somebody, preferably that you don't know. Someone whose narrative is probably different from yours. And have that moment of bonding that says, 
in these emblems is represented our unity in Christ. That's the goal. So in a moment, we will begin this service. I will say the prayer now for the bread, and Pastor Bernie will pray for the cup. Father in heaven, look upon us and have mercy on us, for we are trapped in our stories, and it's hard for us to see each other in truth. And Jesus, I know as you hung on the cross for us, you knew that we would struggle to be united. But you, by your life and death and resurrection, have done everything that can be done for us. And you have sent us your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that with this emblem of the bread, which represents your broken body, that we will understand there is a narrative that's larger, that links us as your brothers and sisters and calls us, demands of us, grace and mercy toward one another, not just in word, but in action. Because you showed us, by giving your body, what it means to act for those you love. May this emblem be filled with all these things and more this day. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father... By the fact that we are seated here this morning, we affirm the notion that we are indeed brothers and sisters in the faith. It's because of your shed blood that we are given the privilege to be, to come alongside of one another and to be counted as the family of God and brothers and sisters. And so, Father, we come and we say thank you for what you've already done, that by the shedding of your blood we are cleansed, we are made new. And as it says in the scripture, it says that this is the new covenant in your blood. May we also affirm that new covenant that not only binds us with you, but it binds us to one another. That we would be faithful to you and in turn be faithful to one another. Faithful as brothers and sisters. Committed to hearing one another's stories. And committed to treating one another in such a way that brings you honor and glory. We thank you, Father, for these emblems today, and as we partake of them, may we be reminded of your great sacrifice in our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now understand as you receive these that it's not likely to work out perfectly that everyone only exchanges once and we find all the perfect matches in the room, so it's okay if you exchange more than one time. The point is, don't take your own and serve yourself. It's about serving each other and seeing each other today. I hope by now everyone's had a chance to share with someone. And I think we have enough. It seems that the deacons still have a few there, so... If everyone has had a chance to share, then let's together take this bread And receive it together for what it is. 
the symbol of the body of Christ broken for us, the story that we share, the body in which we have hope of eternal life together. So take, eat all of it. same way Jesus took the cup and he said this is the new covenant of my blood he says take and drink for our benediction, we're going to close with the reading of a couple of texts. But this is for you to take home, to remember this day, and when you see it, to remember I no longer view anyone with worldly eyes.
But I view them through the blood of Jesus. Amen. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. You cannot leave a service like this without extending an embrace of love to your brothers and sisters. So let that be the means of our dismissal, that we would this day embrace one another as we go out. Amen. Amen.